appreciate it so much, Frank, for, for joining me today. Very excited to talk about your journey and sort of your your venture into electrifying boats. And, and that industry is, it looks like it's about to sort of take off. Um, and, and the whole electrifying our, our grid and electrifying the things that we use for transportation is obviously in the first inning. We're, we're just starting out here. Um, so it's it's going to be a, uh, a bright journey ahead. Before we get into Helava and what you're doing now, talk a little bit about you know, your journey, your sort of career arc before Helava. What was that like? Maybe we can start with Parley for the Oceans if you want to start there, or even before, even before there. Like, what was your mm-hmm. love for sort of the ocean and, and just looking at climate in the future there? Yeah, I'll give thank you. And I'll, I'll share, you know, it goes back to about when you're nine years old and mm-hmm. you start to understand the magnificence of this thing. We we were family that grew up in, in Brooklyn and, and uh, we didn't, you know, swimming for us was beaches where there was no visibility. Uh, yeah. so, you, so you never see anything in the ocean. You just see this green or mm-hmm. brown or gray blue water. And it was, it was, you know, so much part of our life because we were in and around the water so much, but there was just no life in it. We couldn't see the life. And then when I was nine years old, it took a first family trip to Bermuda um, where we had some family living in. And I didn't even have goggles, but just to get underwater in such mm-hmm. a clear environment and see the abundance of colors and, and the volume. Um, it changes your perspective. It yeah, changes everything. And then mm-hmm. you start to open up your eyes to what's really out there. And I started to look at uh, videos and I start to understand things about, you know, shark finning early days. That was kind of the, that was kind of the derivative, the drive behind making a shift from production and hospitality, which I did in my twenties and early thirties into this more environmental conscious aggregate new technology as it relates to climate and changes that are happening globally right around us. And and it was also around that time where we were seeing significant changes happening rather quickly. You know, I was doing production for Formula One. And so I was in, it was in these eight really cool cities around the world every year doing these productions. And some of them are around water, Abu Dhabi, Monaco, and you, you see the changes in the environment. I've been a diver my whole, my whole life and saw that just marine environments that I'd been in 15 or 20 years ago in my lifetime were looking extremely different, just to my eyes. And then you get the scientists and they tell you what's really going on. Um, you know, you listen to the numbers and you hear the reports and you think, how can I be part of a movement of change? Just how can I participate in this a little bit? And so that's how uh, that's how I met. Uh, the leadership at, at Cyril at, at, at Parlay on those early days pre pre first event was I had worked on a campaign to make shark finning illegal in the state of New York um, hmm. and make shark fin products illegal in the state of New York and so it's illegal it was illegal then to land sharks for their fins but it wasn't illegal to sell the products that were shipped from China or, or somewhere sure. else in the world and um, I thought well how could it be that I've lived my entire adult life. Now I was in my early 30s thinking I was accomplished, but really thinking, well, there's still shark fins in the window on Broom Street, so I've done nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We haven't accomplished anything. We're standing still. And all this talk of sustainability is, is not accurate. If we can stand on the streets of New York City and buy a product that is harvested in such a cruel and intentional way, then we haven't done anything. And so that was going to be my one contribution. And I started there, got traction, got it turned into law through a lobbying effort. And then I met some really interesting people that were also looking at doing more work. And and that's how I got started with Parlay and doing some production with them and then taking that through. And in the process of working with them in various capacities for over a decade, really, what I found was that we were in these places trying to do good 
um, remote islands, the Maldives, for example, um, collection, collecting plastic, communicating around it. And every time we did something, we were using a gas boat. And they were all small boats. They were all small yeah. watercraft. They were under 30 feet. They were short range. And, and I would think to myself, well, you know, you, you kind of, we're, we're this interesting species, humans, because we we innovate problems, we innovate solutions, but by innovating solutions, we innovate more problems. And, <laughs> yes. but, 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 but the good news is that we always find ways to fix things that we've broken. And so at that early stage, I was wondering, well, what could electrification look like? I was more interested at the time in material sourcing. What yeah. was the next material going to be at scale? Yes. Like, and I'm at, I'm at fault. Like most people, I'm wearing a pair of pants that I love. And they're probably made of polyester and plastic, sure. you know, and I, and I happen to like the way they fit. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. so it's part of the supply stream and it's part of what we get and it's, it's hard. So we think about what are those solutions? What are those biotechnologies going to look like in the future? But at the same time, I became consumed with, I'm on boats for recreation. I'm on boats for work. I'm on boats when I'm a diver. I'm on boats with my family when I get some time down. Uh, yeah. And every single time I'm doing that, I'm contributing to this larger problem that I'm apparently part of the solution, and it doesn't make sense. And so taking, we took an analysis, and we started just more of a speculative uh, concept of just going, what could this really look like? What's out yeah. there? What are the metrics? I'm not an engineer by trade, so I had to hire some really good engineers early days uh, and work with those teams and understand how does how does propulsion uh, over water work? And you know, you said something at the top of the call, which is electrifying boating. Boating's been electric. It's just the propulsion systems are gas-based, gotcha. right? So all the gotcha. systems on boats, yes. what makes them work, bigger boats, air conditioning, navigation, you know, the start and stops, um, the music you yep. play, the refrigerators, everything's powered by electricity. These are low-voltage batteries, 12, 24, 48-volt systems. So it's thinking about how do we then – So and the good news there is that means that there's, there's pretty much charging everywhere because you've got to charge mm. these low-voltage systems. So now it's just about – powering with high voltage and, and thinking about that. We talk about parlay into, we talk about the materials first, right? And then maybe we get into sort of supply chain and all those things. I guess, what did you learn from that decade there at parlay that, that sort of, not maybe a catalyst, but, but help you sort of in the early days of Halibut figure out like supply chain is one of the hardest things, right? I mean, it, it just, there's a lot of parts to it. You got parts coming from all the way around the world. There's just so many different hands in, in the jar to, to make something, even a pair of pants, right? There's, there's so much. So the, the supply chain probably goes uh, so many different miles just for those pair of pants, let alone different parts into, you know, an engine or a battery, whatever it might be. I guess, what did, what did, you, what did you take away from Parlay, maybe in supply chain, but other stuff in general to help you, you know, solve for this problem? Yeah, one of the things I learned in watching that whole team work was that, that you, you have to accept the nature of things, but that doesn't mean you can you have to stop innovating. In, mm -hmm. in a sense, you have to understand that there are only so many supply chain shifts that can happen and that can happen so quickly. However, it doesn't mean you stop trying. It doesn't mean you stop innovating. It doesn't mean you stop scaling, even if it's slower than you originally thought. And I give an example. Um, I believe, and this might, I might be wrong, but I've, I've, I've heard this story told, and so I'll repeat it. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the DuPont company that developed Lycra. And it developed Lycra in like the 1920s or 30s. So, um, and it took 100 years for this to hmm. make it in. It took 100 years for the supply chain to be in almost every material that we touch. But mm -hmm. now it's in almost every material we touch. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that supply chains can scale, but they also can scale very slowly. Yes. Right? There was no poly, there was, you know, there was, there was no uptick in Lycra in the 50s and 60s and 70s. It started to creep in the 80s and then the 90s and that became pervasive. And as supply chains grow, so it shows you that 
the work you do today can have a significant impact. Not that Lycra has any impact on our lives other than making pants a little bit more comfortable, but the idea that if you change part of the supply chain or you develop some new technology, it may take generations to integrate. But that doesn't mean it's not going to have a positive outcome in 50 or 100 years. Because at that point, when it is scaled, the numbers are exponentially helpful towards our environment and, and, and as our human community. When we talk about you know starting something, Right. It's a, it's a big sort of leap emotionally, you know, financially, there's there's time you're going to dedicate a while usually. Right. If you, if you start a company, usually you're saying, OK, look, I'm going to dedicate you know a decade of my life to this, hopefully. Right. E- even more so, you know, if it, if it you know really takes off. But in those in those sort of early days of of creating and, and developing and, and hiring, I guess now, like, how do you talk about Palava? How do you explain to somebody when somebody asks you about it? It could be as simple as it can be or, or, you know, as broad as it can be. But I guess what do you when you talk about the mission and vision, what does that look like? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And what we what you learn when you start any new process or um, development is that you you have these ideal goals that you want to reach and you realize what's possible and you have to sort of engineer into the possibilities rather than try to just R&D it until you get it to exactly where you think it should be. Yeah, Um, that we specialize in integration of services. So by getting the cost down to the consumer, we think we can broaden the consumer market of the and the adoption of this technology. And we understand that this technology is also when you compare, I mean, there is no apples to apples comparison between our boat and another boat because we did create a new user experience. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. You know, we took a infused hull um, a vacuum infused hull, which is a technology used for a lot of, you know, offshore V hull boats. And we made a trimaran. And the reason we did that is was we started to do conditional flow dynamics. We realized that the forces applied uh, or required to move over water with using electric propulsion are pretty significant. And so wherever we could reduce the drag, and that was in the hull design. So we designed a new style hull that's unique. And, and it is, you know, you, you may have seen other trimarans, but you haven't seen our exact because we designed it specific for this use. And so integrating systems and making them serviceable and making them understandable to the average person who either is in boating currently or maybe never thought about it because it was too complex. It was too, it was unapproachable. You know, we see, I'm down here in Miami doing a lot of demos and I do a lot of demos with with moms and they've never driven a boat. Mm, um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of women who, uh, and, and for, for whatever reason, they just never approached, they never felt comfortable. Um, yeah. And it's men too, right? But I find it with moms, they get really excited because it's a new technology and it's approachable. When it starts, it doesn't make any noise. You know, I can I can fob on my system here. I'm on the boat today and it makes no noise. And then I hit two buttons and my prop's engaged and huh. I start navigating. And because we have a trimaran and because it's got a wide profile, which is good for like opening up the deck space for families, it's also really stable. It doesn't list like a typical V-boat. And so we see this whole new market of people who find this technology really approachable. And I think that's the beauty when you create something, when a new, when you create a new category, is that there's really no end to the possibility of who your customer can be, as opposed to saying, you know, we're going after this specific customer on this specific date, and we're going to this specific trade show. Say, well, let's Maybe this is, you know, I have friends, for example, in the car business or in the car space, they would say, I never owned a car. I never thought of owning a car. I lived in the city. I didn't need a car to right. pay transportation. Right. And then like three years ago, all these people who never had cars all of a sudden started driving Teslas and you go, and they go, oh, well, 
yeah, but it, it's it's so easy and it charges, <laughs> and it, you know. And again, there's there's always problems and complications with with new technology. But the idea is that there's a lot of people out in the world who you know, boating is a very small segment. You know, you have to be close to water. You have to have a budget yeah. to buy these things. It's a, it's just it's discretionary, secondary. You know, it's a it's a it's a fun thing unless you're a fisherman or something. But there's a lot of people who don't see it as approachable, even at the lower price points, because they just are intimidated by it. Um, yeah. Things break. They're mechanical. They smoke. They you have to go get gas, and it, and and there's just something about that technology which is beautiful. Because I mean, I've been on boats my whole life. Yeah, I love the fact that you can get out on the water. But there's also something nice about this newer version, which is silent and quiet and powerful and responsive and safe. And that's the most exciting part about creating new things is making them so that they can integrate into new markets, but also where there's an existing framework, you try to fit into that framework as well. When you did some of the like initial research, because like you said, you kind of got to be close to water, live around water. Like I'd never thought about riding a boat. It just wasn't like growing up. It wasn't necessarily around me. It's I'm I'm probably in a a majority of people that you just, if you don't grow up around it, you know, you're not going to just like growing up in a city. If you don't need a car, you're not really going to drive. And it's it's probably very similar with, with boats. Um, So that segment is small, but I also grew up in, South Louisiana, where personally, maybe you don't have boats, but there's an entire business, massive business sector that uses boats for fishing, for tourism. There's this massive sort of market on uh, the B2B side. So again, doing research, what did you look at sort of, okay, we're going to be sort of a B2C company first and foremost, we'll play in the B2B area. Is the B is maybe a B to B the first step and then B to C? Like I guess, how did you look at? Yeah, yeah no, it's interesting. So one thing to note is that there's it's not it's not a tremendous market, right? It's there's about 150 thousand new units sold per year under 30 feet, under a quarter million dollars. That's that's kind of how the the industry segments that they look at boats that are under 30 feet and under 250, and then over 30 feet and above 250. And the largest segment in America, 80 percent of the boats sold are in that lower segment, right? So that's where boating happens. And then within that, 100,000 of those units are like, you know, kind of small watercraft that are used for day use only. Just, you know, families out on on lakes, rivers, tidal estuaries, in bays, intercoastal, um, short range vehicles that are going to go anywhere between 10 and maybe 25, 30 miles in any given day. And that includes, you know, getting out of your house or your marina, getting into an area where you can maybe run at speed playing with the water skiing, tubing, stopping for lunch, you know, going various speeds back and then closing it up. So we designed towards that specific market, the largest, because we thought there's 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 the other factor of what does our grid look like today and what is it going to look like? And so we hear about all these net zero concepts where countries, uh, institutions, organizations are looking at how do we get our renewable energy power up over the next 10, 20, 30 years, working towards the original goals of COP21 that kind of, that's why we named this the model 2050, because the goal is that by 2050, the majority of our grid is renewable. And so that's the first model. The focus is we are 12 or 13% renewable today in the United States. European countries are maybe, Europe Europe as a whole is maybe a little closer to 20% currently. So today, when you plug in it's really not about whether you're, you know, doing good for the for the planet. To be perfectly honest, right? But in five years, ten years, twenty years, as these as these technologies adopt and scale and become more and and become more price conscious, that's where you start to see a really scale impact. It's um, kind of a compound effect too, because as more and more people do it, it sort of compounds in the 
and lower CO2 and, and a lot of different emissions aspects. Right. So you're mitigating carbon every time you plug in. We have a slogan, plug in, pull out, right? It's super easy. You just plug the thing in when you're ready, you pull out. You don't have to think about, you know, maintenance and gas and any of these things that you typically work in. It's a really seamless process. But every time you plug in, you can know that you're actually mitigating carbon, right? But you're also working towards a renewable energy goal, right? So it's twofold. So when you talk about segments of market, recreation is a key for us. Uh, marina operators are key for us. Municipalities, which are harbor patrols, mm -hmm. private mm -hmm. organizations. You know, I live down here in my in in South Florida, and you know, each community has a patrol. It's a private organization that's been given legitimacy by the city to go and patrol those waters and keep them safe and make sure that the rules are being followed. These vehicles don't. They may need quick acceleration, which we have, but they don't go long ranges. You know, and the nice thing about operation on battery is that. When you're idling, you're not burning any fuel. There's no fuel burn. Whereas those mm -hmm. boats, even if they're idling, you know, at six or 800 RPMs, they're constantly burning fuel. And so as a renewable energy resource, these work boats that are working 12 hours out of every 24 hour cycle could be charged and rework, charged and rework and be net zero throughout that entire process. And so when you start to think about that as scale, and then lastly, a really big one in our first, some of our first early adopters are universities and research hmm. science centers, mm -hmm. because it, it, again, it's the same, it's the same equation I mentioned when I discussed, you know, we're out doing collection or doing beach cleanups on gas boats. Think about the folks who are out doing the science and doing the research that gives us the science that shows us the predictions they're out doing the research and gathering data while on gas boats. So there's a there's an immediate need right there mm -hmm. for, you know, for universities and research institutions for adopting this technology. And then, you know, obviously on a blue water side, if they have to go further distances, longer range, get out to the open ocean for, you know, and stay over for periods of time, there's going to be, you know, gas boats that are going to be used to do this yeah. for, for the foreseeable future. But the short range testing, monitoring, uh, even introduction to when when you know when students start working and they learn they learn the basics of boating um mm. you know they're out on gas boats learning safety and standards and you know how to how to take samples and how to so this should all be happening on electric because it's renewable and they can power at the dock and it's responsible um so we see these four main categories where recreation and early adoption from the universities and education. And then as we grow into scale, scaling the municipality um, contracts and getting into like a 2025, 2026 scale, where now we're supplying municipalities around the country, where we're supplying universities around the country. There's a there's there's a larger scale recreational buy-in and hopefully a reduction in cost from our end yeah. where we can start to simplify what we have, um, offer shorter range battery packs for those in communities where maybe they don't, you know, we offer 75 and 100 kilowatt hour pack. Um, but if you're going to do 10 miles a day on a lake and you're never going to burn through more than 20 or 30 kilowatts, right. that's a rather large part of the build cost. So we can, we can take that engineer it down and make it make an offering to people who can adopt into all these smaller lake communities around the country that i have a couple questions about the technology a little bit one would be you know let's see navigation internal iot within sort of you know the boats is that sort of partnering with current gps officers are you offerings are you building your own software for the boats and then secondarily the technology of sort of the you know the battery or the the engine so to speak can that be put into all these boats that are in the ecosystem already? Is there a way to, or, or sort of you're building it where you kind of have to encapsulate into the entire new boat that Halava is building versus 
you know, putting this technology in the current ecosystem where you can kind of, you know, give these, all these gas boats a new life with the technology you could just implement into it? That's an interesting question. And the answer is one that is multifaceted. So the hull of the boat you're trying to power determines the power ratio that you need to power it. So some boats can be easily converted, especially for low speed navigation. So there are there are other companies out there that do this and it's very low power conversion. So you're going to get eight to 12 knot max speeds, mm-hmm. which is like 12, 12, 13, 14 miles an hour. That'll be your top speed. But if you have a small boat and you don't need to go quickly and you want to just cut out gas and you want, there, there are plenty of options in that range. Um, our boat is more of an experience because we have a lot of power in it. It's super high power. So, you know, we're talking about top speeds that, you know, reach 35 knots, right? So, you know, these Mm. are, these are pretty aggressive top speeds, fast acceleration, um, you know, cruising speeds where, you know, we, we have our cruising dialed in around 21, 22 knots, which is a nice cruising speed for, you Mm -hmm. know, getting around any of these different environments. So, we have different deck plans for different use cases, um, but the technology that we're using is also built to integrate existing systems that people are familiar with. So we're working with Mercury uh, as an OEM supplier to we're putting in, uh, they have what they call stern drives. Um, and so they have two models of stern drive. We're, we're working with both models. There's a, there's a higher end model and yeah. uh, a, an entry level model. And again, we engineered this so that we could be the most approachable electric boat company that's currently on the market. So the most high performance at the lowest cost with the most power. Um, so we want people to have this kind of replicated experience, but also saying it's kind of like, every other boat I've had, but it's just easier to use. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and, and it costs me, cost me less to operate. So, you know, when one thinks about, for example, the cost of power, if you have a 100 kilowatt hour pack and you plug into your dock power, uh, which is a standard JL1772 car charger, so the same car charger you see on every car but Tesla. Tesla has their own patented uh, you know, electric charger connection. Um, but the standard one you'd buy on on, on Amazon, which is a phase one or level one, level two charger, which goes high and low voltage, works on our boat. So you can plug into any power that you have available, the same power that you plug your iPhone into, or if you have a 240 connection in your garage, you can go direct to the 240. Your charge speed will be five times faster if you're on the 240. But when you think about cost, it's going to cost you about $8 and ranges in price throughout this country. You know, the price per kilowatt hour ranges state by state. But on average, you're going to be paying 7 to $12 to fill up the 100 kilowatt hour pack, which gets you 40 to 50 nautical miles. So that changes a lot for customers mm-hmm. because they realize mm-hmm. when they start to aggregate their actual operating costs for the summer or for the full year, if they're in places where there's good weather year round, there's a significant impact there. A couple more questions here we'll end on. One would be just the hurdles you face right now, you know, as a team, as a, as a company growing and scaling, trying to develop technology, trying to, you know, ship out, ship out actual, you know, physical things in, in, in boats. What are some of the hurdles you face right now? There are supply chain challenges around the world. There are supply chain challenges everywhere you look at every level, right? So when you're dealing with composite materials, when you're dealing with resins, when you're dealing with labor, even, you know, in this country, there's shortages in some places and surpluses in others. And the skill, the skill level doesn't match the labor requirement you need. And so you have to think about where's the best place to manufacture. There's challenges throughout the supply chain when it comes to just general materials. So you asked me earlier about, um, and I, I think I, 
I missed answering on the UI experience. There's two channels, right? There's the channel on the driveline channel, which is going to tell you the speed you're going, the RPMs you're spinning at, um, your state of charge, whether you're in an optimal state of performance, mm -hmm. um, what your range calculation is. And that's all something that we developed in partnership with a powertrain supplier. That's also a U.S. based gotcha. company. On the other side, you have navigation and boats controls. So you have your fusion technology. You have your. We're working with Simrad and Navico on, on a partnership at scale to um, integrate all of their boat control systems. And this is your control of your bilge pumps and your control of your lighting systems, your audio, all the low voltage harnessing, all the all low voltage controls, um, fresh water pumps, add-ons, heads, anything you want to add um, goes onto that that block. And that is all standard boat language. So that is just plug and play. You build the system as large as you want it to be. You can keep it simple if you want it to keep it simple. Um, and so that's all separate. Now, over the next few years, we'll integrate those two sides where we'll bring the high voltage power powertrain communication and we'll integrate it into the boat control system. That way hmm. you can have an interchangeability of screens where if you're not in operation, you don't need that. You don't need gotcha. to waste that screen on one thing. Um, the other thing that we did is we made a commitment to build these boats in America and use American labor force and really committed hmm. to the majority of boats built and sold in America are built in America. And we wanted to keep that. We didn't want to see technology advance and then outsource things. So there's there's challenges in building things. It takes time, um, but it's but it is possible to do it, and we're really proud to do it. And we're really proud to say that all of our partners that are supplying our major components are also American based, American labor force. And so that's been something that we've committed to. And I quite frankly couldn't tell you whether if we had gone with I, I definitely think manufacturing in Europe is 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 far more difficult than the US. Um, mm -hmm. And the costs of developing technology in Europe are, are exceedingly high. Um, and then China is China. And so we didn't want to be shipping boats all around the world, yeah. um, you know, on the back yeah. of big you know, tankers just to get just so we could, you know, scale, right. scale our boating company. So um, the challenges we've found have been in just growing into where is the best place to build things? Um, Where's the best place to kind of structure teams um, and working with the supply chain? You know, a year and a half ago, there was a complete shutdown throughout the Midwest yeah. of supply chain for resins and materials. And so we had to we had to wait for that. But mm -hmm. um, but we come out of the back of that slowdown and you realize that you're now that much closer to your goal. Last question I have is is just a little bit about about the future. You know, and I know there's it, it, it might be hard to think about that sometimes. And but when you look at the next three to five years, what are some of the goals and successes you and the team would like to achieve? We're really kind of pumped around the future. You know, we, we <laughs> like I said at the top of the call, when you realize how humans can get us into in, get get us into a mess it makes it even more fun to get us out mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and you know recreational boating or municipality survey or you know institutional uh boating is not going to change the overall temperatures of the sea but i think that at a large-scale adoption when you simplify technology and you make it easier and more approachable and cleaner and safer and less expensive then there's a lot of people who take interest because one of those things has to make you get excited, right? So yeah. if, it's the, if it's the fact that it's new technology, some people really into like just all new technology. They love the fact that things work new and different and they're using different materials. If you're into saving money because you're on a budget and you, or, or you're just into saving money because, you know, municipalities want to save money because it's yeah. taxpayer dollars. Uh, universities want to save money because they want to have, be able to put more money into actual scientific programs. So when you think about it from that perspective, we're really excited about all these different lead-ins to onboarding new customers. 
right? So that's where it's really exciting. And the technology only gets better. The price per kilowatt hour goes down. The space claim density of power gets better almost every five years. So what, what hmm. we think, what we see happening is that every four or five years, there's a, there's a reduction in price, 10 or 20% per kilowatt hour. But there's also a double in capacity, which means that the same space claim and the same weight that I use for my 100 kilowatt hour batteries today in five years will be close to 200 kilowatt hours in that same space claim, which mm. means now I've just doubled my range. Yeah. So the technology is going to get better, be, bigger and it's going to get better. And so that's really exciting because we'll be able to go longer ranges, power bigger boats. And that's, you know, so there are new models to go you know, into development on. We, we're launching a split console and a center console now. And then we have a rework deck plan for, you know, more of an institutional uh, deck plan, which it's not as fancy, doesn't have as nice decking. It doesn't have all the little features and finishes, but it's, it can be a work boat. And we're also yeah. looking at building boats um, this year out of aluminum um, for the, for the municipalities and industrial use, because there's a, there's a desire in those communities to build with aluminum boats because they really get beat up. Yep. Um, and so composites can get nicked and bruised and, you know, they're not really made for industrial use. Amazing, Frank. Thank, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, learned a ton. Um, always excited to learn about stuff. And, you know, it's just a, I see it's a, it's a space that's going to continue growing. And, and like you said, I mean, even getting, even getting people to just adopt electrified something in, in their lives, I think that introduction um, is always great, right? It's like we kind of love the idea that people are skeptical, and they should be, right? Because yeah. they, it's new technology; they're used to standards. People get familiar with something, and it works, and they don't want to change. And we say, by all means, just come take a demo or check it out, or mm -hmm. if you know someone that has one, just take a ride and you know, and let us know what you think. Because the, in in the end, we're we're a customer service customer. You know, we're we're yeah. building we're building this for for an experience. We get very little time, depending on family type, or to get on the water. We use the water. We saw it in COVID, right? That the people just flocked to the water. Mm. Boat sales rose like like enormous mm. amounts because people were like, you know what? When it when it when it does get tough in society, we want to try to get into nature, and so yeah. we want to let that be possible, right? We want to let people on the water for cheaper for ease of operation, and so that's a really exciting thing. And you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this morning. Best of luck to you and the team for for next decade, couple of decades, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. We're in it for the long haul. So yeah. <laughs> thanks again.